Head trauma in sports like football has been a growing concern in the sports world. This has been partially fueled by the discovery of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, otherwise known as CTE, a progressive brain disease resulting from too much head trauma. There have been numerous studies on the effects of head trauma in sports. For Dr. K. Koata, a professor in Indiana University's School of Public Health, a $3.1 million grant he received in 2020 has enabled him to study the effects of subconcussive head impacts, impacts that do not cause symptoms like headaches and light sensitivity, on local high school football players from Bloomington High School North, Bloomington High School South, Edgewood High School, and Mooresville High School. According to Dr. Kawada, awareness of CTE began when Dr. Bennett Omalu published a paper on his findings with Pittsburgh Steelers football players. That was in 2005. Since then, close to 300 cases have been published and more have been diagnosed. When CTE first began to get exposure, it was feared that every athlete who played football had it. However, Coato explains that that is not the case. So the earlier study have tested on so many athletes who were concerned about maybe potential CTE. That's why they donated their brain. Well, family members donated their brain. But the truth is, those brains were uh, biased in a way that it's deemed to find something wrong because parents and you know the spouse are concerned already. Something was going on with that person, including those healthy, aging NFL retired football players, not just NFL, but the soccer players and the war fighters. They're healthy, aging, die normally, and we don't see any CTEs. So the CTEs, we don't know the proportion, exact proportion of how many of professional athletes experience CTE. So that's one thing we should get that out of the way. So it's not like 100% of athletes will sustain that. But another important thing that we know is those repetitive exposures to head impact, whether that's a concussive force or a subconcussive force, they do play a big catalyst to this progressive neurodegenerative condition. That's kind of a common sense as well. If you hit your knee with a brick wall so many times, one, two hits, I think you can take it. But if you hit repetitively every time, even though that's very mild, the knees start to bruise, the bruising becomes very chronic and a chronic inflammation hits. Same thing really happens for the brain as well. So the mechanism is, has been elucidated, so uncovered lately that those micro stress repetitively without enough rest, that can set the stage for early onset of this type of neurodegenerative condition. Parents have shown concern about the research on head trauma in sports like football. Kawada says that participation in high school football has been affected by this. It is declining. So the decline is consistent, not just the past couple of years. It's been declining over the course of a decade. And it's because of those media exposures and worried parents. But still, to credit of the great sports of football... The football provides large platform for a lot of kids to participate and provide a you know, platform for a physical activity and lower rate of obesity and diabetes. 
So the rate of football participation is declining, but still by far the most popular sports in high school and middle school football. I mean, the sports. So football still plays a huge role in those kids. But I think the decline is because we don't know how to mitigate those injury risk. And we don't know the, the consequence of the risk. So that's why it's declining. And our study, this bigger study that we're probably going to talk about more, is the one to provide some sort of um, threshold of head impact exposure. What's safe and what's unsafe? And if you know that, cutoff line. And that is a huge uh, benefit to parents and also players to decide whether how long to play football or when to play and what sports to pick. And we still don't know anything about it. That's why it's uh, participation is declining. Kawada's research looks to find out what number of hits is safe for high school football players by using technology to track the number of subconcussive hits they take and measure the effects. Kawada first tested the effects of subconcussive hits in an experiment where he used a jugs machine to shoot soccer balls at soccer players' heads while they performed heading exercises. After 10 to 20 hits, Kawada's team saw differences in blood biomarkers eye tracking, and some balance measures. This showed them that changes were measurable. After soccer, football was the next logical step. So we applied that into football because football at that time was a really big deal. We're concerned about concussion, CTE, and maybe repetitive head impact. So we transitioned this laboratory model into this field human study. And then we tested in... Um, collegiate level temple football at that time i was at temple university in philadelphia and then we also applied this in uh, uh, high school in california and we tested in bloomington north high school football players we had a sequence of data pointing to the very one single concept that if you sustain repetitively for a long time well, many many hits the, all the functions that we test in blood biomarkers are synchronously getting worse, but not to the point of severe concussion or a car accident head trauma. It's not that bad, but it's just throughout the season, if you sustain that many head, in, head impacts, like 600 hits, sometimes 1,000 hits, and we've seen the decline in some of the you know, neurological functions and the biomarkers. And then that made us propose an idea that, well, we need, this is a bigger problem. And it's not just a single high school or single college football players can solve this. So we proposed a bigger study to the federal government, NIH, National Institutes of Health, proposing multi-site study. And in order to study how many hits are okay and how many hits are not okay, we did have to propose multi-site. It's not just a single school because each school has a different culture and different racial diversity, different coaching uh, philosophy. So we, need, we included multiple schools, end up with four. There are different tools that Kawada's team uses when compiling data. One is a helmet sensor that tracks the frequency and magnitude of head impacts. There's also a patch that can be placed behind the ear to detect head movement. According to Kawada, the best tools they have are special mouth guards with three devices implanted in them. First, there is a sensor that detects when the mouth guard is in use. 
This prevents any false readings. Then, there is an accelerometer and gyroscope to detect the direction of the force applied to the subject. And then those two different sensors, accelerometer and a gyroscope, and then they can detect a linear head motion. That's something that linearly, left and right, and also diagonal. Uh, the gyroscope, that's something that can detect the rotational force. And everything has, so accelerometer has three axes, XYZ axis, and then gyroscope has XYZ axis to literally detect every direction of the force applied to and which direction that trans transmitted and how much of the force went to that direction. So there is a lot of uh, nitty-gritty, you know, uh, bioengineer aspect involved. And that, that information can be compiled and the algorithm can detect what is the average force, magnitude, linear force and rotational force and a combined one subject is sustaining per head impact. We can quantify all that and also direction of the head. According to Kawada, there are factors that cause an athlete to be at higher risk for serious brain trauma. The frequency and magnitude of head impacts is the most obvious. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention also published a study that found if a football player is younger than 14, they are at higher risk for brain disease down the line. Also, female athletes are said to be more affected by head trauma because their neck muscles are not as strong and stiff. Kawada talks about the kinds of effects he has seen while researching this topic. If you sustain a lot of head impact or really short time and you expose, say, 20 hits in a sequence of in a matter of five to 10 minutes, that's really a lot of head impact impact in a short time. Then we have seen uh, the, the chemical that came from the brain cells, which if you haven't sustained head impact, that chemical should have stayed inside of the brain cells. But that's expressed in the bloodstream. That means the trauma happens to the brain, and then blood chemical came from the brain, goes out of the brain, and then we can detect in the bloodstream. And that's, that has been repetitively shown in the studies. And then neuroimaging data. So we use, uh, not just us, but other, other scientists use advanced neuroimaging. It's not something uh, much, much uh, sensitive than CT and or x-ray. So we can detect the microstructure of the brain cells. And for that, we can start to see the, the really subtle difference or subtle diffusion of the brain cells. So microstructural damage, you can imagine, happens once you sustain head impact consecutively for long term. Long term can be, you know, as short as a couple weeks to one season. We're, we're connecting to multiple seasons, but that's one of the first initiatives. So we don't know the multi-season effect much, but we're going to find out. The study Kawada's team is conducting has just finished its first year. He did say that there is a correlation between practice intensity and the amount of head impact exposure. This head impact has been demonized a little bit, and I agree it's not a good thing to sustain a lot of head impact. So NCAA has reduced uh, or prevented two-a-day. There's no two-a-days anymore in college football. And then they also minimized the days of preseason training camp from 29 days used to be in the 27 days that right there was a little bit 
confusing result. So 29 days to 27 days, cut in two days of training camps. Maybe you might think it's just two days, but that two days, it's a big time. It's a big loss for a lot of teams. You have to prepare for the actual season. But that was to minimize head impact. But what happened in that study was, even though days were cut in short, two days are no longer available, but head impact exposure stayed the same compared to 29 days, what it used to be, or some team head impact exposure went up by losing two days. What happened was, probably coaches and the team itself, they're losing days, so we got to intensify each practice so that we can get ready in a shorter time that's available. And then so the head impact exposure went up. So that was exactly opposite of what NCAA wanted. And then we were thinking, well, this is not a good thing. It's not a good policy. What are we missing? What's missing is we're not regulating in what's inside of the practice. So we can cut down the days of the practice, but unless you cut down or scoping into the, each practice drill, you're never going to be able to cut down head impact exposure. According to Kawata, the purpose of the study is to learn how many hits are safe and how many pose danger to players. There are a lot of answers, but the single answer is how many head impacts are safe and how many head impacts are showing to increase the, the impairments, so unsafe. That's the bottom line and the biggest theme of this study. So what's the range of head impact? If we know the range, we can stop or slow down certain participants or certain athletes, just like a pitch count in the college and Major League Baseball players. 100 pitch, that's kind of the cutoff line. And then that's to preserve their shoulder and then keep the health of the players. Same thing will happen eventually and hoping that this study will be part of the, the big policy that's going to be applied in the future. Until there is more knowledge about the effects of head impacts, Kawata recommends limiting exposure as much as possible and getting plenty of rest after exposure. For more information on CTE, visit concussionfoundation.org. For WFHB, I'm Onyi Afwako.